anymore. Probably don't want to ever be one. But I'm a mother. And I will always be a mother. Thank you, guys. Awesome praise and worship. Thank you all so much. You know what? Let me not get started without doing a confession. Isaiah 50 verse 4. You all stand up with me. Before I get into the message, I always forget. <laughs> all right. Ready? One to go. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Father God, I want to thank you for this wonderful, special day. Lord, I want to thank you that you saw that we were worth something. In our depravity, in our dysfunction, in our sin, in our rebellion, you still saw something in us. Oh, we give you praise today, God. Father, let your word come forth today as exactly the way you want it. Hide me behind the cross, Jesus. Oh, be glorified in this house today to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, and the people said, Amen, Amen. amen. You may be seated. So as I was saying, as a mother, there are some things a mother can tell a child. And just, you just speak from your heart. And the child knows, yeah, mama is speaking. I better listen. I kind of feel that's the position I want to take this morning on this Easter day. A lot of celebration, rejoicing. He's risen. He's risen indeed. But I want to tell you this. Easter is so much more than coming to church on Sunday. Easter is so much more than saying I'm a believer. Easter is so much more than all of that. What are we really celebrating today? Why are you here on a Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday, when you could be at home watching a movie or a TV or something? Why are you here just to see the Easter, uh, egg hunt or the, the rabbit? Why are you here today? The reason this day is important the reason this day has been marked eternally is because today is the day God chose to purchase you. God chose to purchase me with his son. He looked down from heaven, looked at the darkness. He saw the depravity. He saw the sin. He saw the pain. He saw the hopelessness. He saw everything that was ugly. But he said, I still want them. He saw what man that he had made in his image and in his likeness, what man had become. Because of rebellion, because of sin, the authority and the power that he had given to man, man had willingly given it to his enemy, Satan. And God said, I still want them back. I don't understand that. He didn't have to. We are just made from 
signs. And after he made that decision, he looked around the throne. In Revelations, we are told there are creatures great and fearful. There are elders. There are angels. And all they do, day in and day out, is to bow down and worship God. And God looked at them. He looked at the angels and said, "Mm -mm." He looked at the elders. Can one of them go purchase them for me? Mm -mm. He looked at the creatures, great and mighty and fearful. Now, then he looked at himself. And he looked at his son. The Bible said in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. Himself. He's the essence of God. When he spoke the word into being, he spoke Jesus. And he said, you are the one that I want to use to buy them back. Most of us, if if $100, you can buy a pair of shoes, you can buy a dress, you can buy whatever, maybe a restaurant, you can spend it because you know what that amount is worth. We know the value of money. When you want to buy a car, you know that $100 is not going to buy you a car. We're not talking of maybe 10, 15, 20,000, right? When you want to buy a house, you're not talking about 20, 30, 40, 50,000. You are talking of hundreds of thousands. I remember one time I went to a home of a very, very wealthy man, a millionaire. And the first thing he wanted to show me was this painting on his wall. He actually had it on the wall and he had some light that was beaming on that paint. You could tell he was proud of that painting. He wanted to tell me this painting was from, he mentioned the name, some popular whatever, you know, painter, and it cost him, I think he said $1.2 million. And I looked at the paint. I, I looked at it. In my mind I said, this man must be crazy. I'm not going to pay $10 for this. Because he looked so ugly. Oh, he was so proud. He, that was the first thing he wanted to show me. That is how me and you are in the eyes of God. If I looked at you, or if the enemy looked at you, it probably wouldn't be worth much. But God saw you and said, Hmm. Hmm. Pierre, you are worth the blood of my son. Woo-wee! Isn't that something to rejoice about? As ugly as we are, as sinful as we are, as depraved as we are. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. The Bible says there is no good in any man. But God saw that. And God said, I want you. And what I want to get used to buy you back is the blood of my one and only begotten son. 
Don't ever let anyone tell you you're not worth anything. Don't ever let anyone tell you God made a mistake when you came to this earth. You are worth something. The blood of Jesus Christ. The one and only begotten Son of the living God. Psalm 8 verse 4. The psalmist David was trying to understand some of these mysteries. It's like, God, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man? What is man? That God is so mindful of us. What do we have? You think about it. I'm trying to make you understand why today is so important. Because sometimes we forget what we are really celebrating. We forget where God has taken us from. We forget what our future forever was going to be without what happened on Easter Sunday. And I want to remind you of that today. The psalmist said, what is man that you are so mindful of him? That means God's mind is completely, there's no room elsewhere. Everything in his mind is you. His whole mind, all he thinks about is you. He set this, the planets in place. Every morning there will be morning. Every night there will be night. He doesn't have to worry about that. He just set that in place and that takes care of himself. But the day in and day out, how you're doing, how you're feeling, how your family is doing, how, when you cry, he's there to wipe your tears. When you're happy, he's there to, ha- to be happy with you. The Bible says he's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Everything you feel, God feels it. His mind is filled with you. The Bible says he's engraved us in the palm of his hand. He can't do anything because you're right there. That is what we are celebrating because that is what we lost in the garden. You are engraved in the palm of his hand. The psalmist says, I can't understand it. What is man that you are so mindful of him? Jesus in Luke 42, I believe, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he knelt down. He started praying. He was in agony. The Bible says he was in deep agony. That word agony means deep mental and physical pain. He knelt down there. It wasn't that he didn't know he was going to the cross. Jesus wasn't afraid to die. Do you know what he was was afraid of? That the sins of the world, when it comes on him, that the Father would turn his back on him. That was the only reason. He said, Father, Father, if it's your will, Please take this cup away from me. He wanted to do it. He knew that's why he came. And he was fully man. He was fully man when he was here on earth. That's why he's called the son of man. He was fully man like you and I. But he had no sin in him. He'd never done anything wrong. He was willing to take off eternity take off his royalty, take off everything that made him God to become like you, to become like me with all our weaknesses, with all our failures, with all our everything that man had become. He said, Father, if it be thy will, take this cup away from me. You would think the father would say, ah, you know what? That's enough. 
You've tried. You've done 30 years. You've not committed any sin. Angels, get him back. Come back here. The father turned his back and said, No, honey. You're going to drink that cup. That cup was filled with sin of every one of you here. Filled with every lie you've ever told. Filled with everything wrong that you've ever done. Things that you wanted to redo but couldn't redo them because it's too late. All the regrets. All the failures. When you look at yourself and you say, God, I want to do better, but I don't know. I don't know. Help me. All of that, God poured it into a cup and gave it to his son and said, drink it. And Jesus was like, ah, I don't know. But Father, if it be your will, I will drink it. And the, the Bible tells us he prayed in anguish that the drops of his sweat were like drops of blood. But he drank that cup. And once he drank that cup, he knew there was no turning back. He knew he had to go all the way. And they came and got him. And as they were taking him, they were beating him. Beating him. Beating him. To the point the Bible says you could not recognize him anymore. They beat him to the point that you could not recognize him anymore. If it was me, I would say, stop! My son, I won't let them do this to you. It's enough, it's enough, it's enough! Give me back my child. I will not let my child be beaten. I will not let my child's back be stripped all the way to the bone to be beaten to the point that nobody could recognize him. Oh no, I will not. But God said, my mind is full of my people. Because of you, because of you, because of you, his mind so full of you. He said, no son, keep going, do it for them. I can see what is in the front. Satan was excited, thinking, oh, that's who they thought was going to come save the world. Look at him, now he's going to die. He didn't realize what God was doing. And Jesus went all the way, all the way to that cross, laid on that cross, and they crucified him. All because of us. But that's not where the story ends. If that was where it ended, we would have still been, nothing else would have happened. The enemy thought that was where it ended. But he didn't know that was his doom. He didn't know that was his doom. Because once Jesus died and they buried him, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to hell. I said, I'm going to go to hell for you. I'm going to go to hell for you. He went into hell, the son of man. God himself. I'm not following my notes today at all. He went to hell. And those keys that were taken from us in the garden because Adam and Eve could not take responsibility. They wanted to be like God. He went to hell and he took the keys. The keys of hell and death. Whew. And he came out. Before he did that, he made a public show. <laughs> a public show of Satan. Disgraced him. 
disgraced him. Took every power he had. Took every authority he had. Just made a public spectacle of him. I'm sure the, the, the demons that, that, that revolted with him, if they saw him, they were like, we thought you were stronger than this. Is this really all you have? They probably are regretting if they can regret that they went with him. Jesus made a show of him. Took the keys from him. And you know what he said? He says, those keys, let me look for where I am just, let me find where I am now. Just be patient with me. Woo-wee! I'm telling you. Ah! He took the keys and he said, now, I give you those keys. I give you those keys. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He transferred that authority, that power, and gave you and I those keys. Do you know any time you go, you sin, or any time you let the enemy win, you're letting him buy you back, a piece of you back? Have you ever thought about it? That any time you give in to your flesh as a Christian, that have received him as your Lord and Savior, that what you're telling God is, oh, you bought me, but I want this part of me to be bought back by the enemy. You are selling back yourself to the enemy. You that was bought with the blood of Jesus, you are thinking something else is worth buying a piece of you back? Never! But one thing is to have a limitless life because really the title of this message, I had put it down, prepared the message weeks ago, but it was Easter Sunday and I said somehow it has to fit with the message and God really, really made it fit. It's really no limitations. Because when God went all the way to do what he did for us, there was no limitations. And now that Jesus is risen and he has given you those keys back, the keys of authority, the keys of life and death, the keys to stand in dominion again, you should have no limitations. But to have a life of no limitations, one thing is required, just one thing. One thing. And it's what Jesus himself did. is for you to die to your flesh. For you to have a life of no limitations, you have to die to yourself. You have to crucify yourself. More than coming to Bible study, more than saying I'm a Christian, more than coming to church every Wednesday, every Sunday, the one secret to a Christian's life, a Christian who really wants to make a difference in this world, a, a Christian who wants to make a difference in their generation, in the, among their peers, the secret is for you to die to yourself. Because where death is, where death ends, that's where resurrection starts. 
You can never expect in the kingdom of God to rise if you don't die first. It's not possible. Until you are emptied completely of yourself, God has nowhere to feel. His full expression in you can never be manifested if there are still parts of you in you. So the, 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 the job of a believer is for you to die to self. And see what the Bible says. It says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. You hear that? When he was dying on the cross, you are supposed to be dying with him too. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is what a Christian is supposed to be. If you are a follower of Christ, if you understand why you are here today, on this wonderful, beautiful Easter morning, your job, your primary job now, is to say, Lord, I want to follow you. I appreciate what you've done for me. I want you to use me to touch people. I want you to use me to touch lives. For you to do that, you must die. Not physical death, but you must, your desires, your pleasures, the sins you enjoy, all of that, you have to hang them on that cross with Jesus. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15.31. It says, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Paul saying, he says, I die when? I die. It's not the death from yesterday. Jesus put there, God put there in the scriptures. This is Paul that wrote the thirds of the gospel. He said, I have to die daily. You know the reason why? This flesh loves pleasure. This flesh loves sin. Because we were born in sin. He says, I die daily. The death of yesterday is not enough for today. The death of last week, last month, last year, no. Every single day you must find something. Because we are human beings, you and I. I'm like that too. There's always something wanting to pull you back to that sinful nature. There's always wanting to buy you back and make you feel like you don't, you're not worth anything. So you have to die every single day. If it's pride, if it shows up, kill it. Shows up again tomorrow, kill it. If it's lost, Sexual immorality, you fight today and you win and it comes again tomorrow, crucify it. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. Nobody is there, 100%. And if you, if you fall and the enemy comes and says, uh, 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 you tell him, uh, 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 too. <laughs> tell him, this is a family affair. I'm, I'm dealing with my God. This is my, my, this is my father. If I do wrong, if I sin... I have access to him now. I can go right into the throne and I will talk about that a little bit because we reign with him. I can go right into the throne and say, Abba, Father, I've wronged you. Please forgive me. And the blood of Jesus washes it away. The Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we are all lying. That's in the New Testament. We're talking to Christians. 
He says, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar and the truth of God is not in you. So we all have things, every one of you, including me. We all have things we all struggle with. Don't let the enemy condemn you to the point where you think you are not good enough for God. Remember how much he did to make you his? Remember the price he paid to make you his own? You are good enough. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He chose you before the beginning of the earth. Before the earth was formed, he knew you. He called you by your name. And he spoke, prophesied into your life what you are going to be. So if you, if you sin, I mean, we are the ones that are grading sin, you know. If you do anything wrong, go to your father. It's a family business. Kick the enemy out. Don't ever stay condemned. That's from the devil. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn you. He didn't come to condemn you. You can go to God and ask for forgiveness and keep moving on. The Bible says we strive against sin. It's when you just give it to it, that's when the enemy gets you. Fight it. Daily. Die to yourself daily. If it was possible, we would have said die, die. But it says daily. That's because we, it's a daily thing. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's a joy set before you. You know that? There's a joy set before you, and I will go to it. I'm going to get to it soon. There's a joy set before you. And so endure when things are hard, when, when the temptation comes, endure just like Jesus did because of what is set before you. He says he endured the cross, despising the shame, and now has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is the sin that easily ensnares you? What is the weight that you're carrying? God is telling you here, for you to die to self, you have to know what those are. And it's a decision we all have to make. If you have a problem with drinking, you shouldn't be going to the bars. If you're having a problem with pornography, you should make sure somebody, a close friend, is able to put stuff on your phone or your computer or whatever to block all those things and you make yourself that available to that person to mentor you. That's how you lay aside. That's how you lay aside. That's how you do it. Where the enemy knows to push. Find somebody and say, please, can you be my, 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 my partner, the one I, I report myself to? And that person be the one that you pray with. If you're struggling, call that person. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. Holding each other up. Calling my brother, listen, I'm struggling here. Please pray for me. Hold me up. I, I, I had this issue. I'm going to bring my phone. Let's find what to do to filter whatever it is. That is how you lay aside. You have to, the Bible says, lay, lay aside. It's your job. That's where the enemy gets us. Where we just, it becomes a cyclical daily thing. But if you lay aside and you run with endurance and while you're doing that, you're looking at his face alone. 
looking to him alone because he's your example. Because he's done it. He was able to live a life as a man with no sin. He was able to obey the Father 100%. He did all of that for me so that I can have that same relationship with God. Reconcile me with God. We can do it. Luke 9.23, he said, And then that's Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. When again? It's always a daily thing. It's back here again, daily. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. That's what I want to let you know. It's a daily thing. So don't, what happened yesterday doesn't really matter. You have today is the day of salvation. Today is what matters to God now. Don't let your past hold you back. Now. Today. And then tomorrow there's a grace again for you tomorrow. There's grace for every day. There's no good thing in the flesh, I tell you. Nothing good in it. Romans 7, 18 says, For I know in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. Nothing good dwells. There's nothing good. There's nothing. There's no reward. If you live in the flesh, if you just your whole life is just the way you want it, the desire comes, you do it, you don't put God into the equation, God doesn't matter, it's what you want, what you feel like doing, me, myself, I, there is no reward in that. It says this here, there's no good, nothing good in the flesh. Nothing good in the flesh. Money, fame, whether you know, status, education, at the end of it all, none of that counts. I tell you that. <laughs> none of that counts at all. So if it's money you want to get and that's what makes you now not want to follow God, look at the young rich ruler. That man's name, we would have known his name in the Bible. But God decided not to mention his name. We just known him as the young rich ruler because money was too important for him to follow Jesus. Don't let any material thing, don't let anything physical, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, every sin goes to those three. That's what, killed, that's what did it in for Adam and Eve. And that's the same thing he went to Jesus in the wilderness. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. If you can overcome those, crucify those daily, then you can do what the Bible says. Here, you can take part of the reward. You can really now have a life that has no limits. Think about it. The Bible says we reign with Christ. These scriptures, I'm telling you, 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 12. It says, this is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying, 2 Timothy 2. I'll give you time to pull it up so they can see it. 11 and 12. There you go. This is a faithful saying. That word there, faithful, means almost like you can take this to the bank. 
When you're faithful to something, that means that you, you, you would do it. You're faithful to it. It's almost telling you what I'm going to tell you now. You can bet your life on it. You can take it to the bank. It will happen. He says, this is a faithful saying. For if we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Listen, but if we deny him, he also will deny us. See, God, when God says something, he means it. I'm telling you, we might not understand it because this, our minds are so finite. We cannot understand an infinite God. But believe me, when God says something, he means it. He doesn't say what he doesn't mean. So, he tells us here, and I'm going to just focus because of time, I'm going to focus on the word reign, because if you want to talk about living with him, enduring and reigning, that's a, a whole series right there. But let's focus on the word reign. He says, we shall reign with him if we died with him. So when you crucify your flesh and you live for God, there's that promise, that reward that God says you will have. And that is to reign with him. Let me, let me try and give this example. You know, if, if all of us here, you had a relationship with President Biden, or even maybe the Queen of England, where you could pick up your phone and just say, oh, hello, Queenie. This is Angela calling. Um, I, I would like to travel. Could you send your private jet to pick me up? You know, those kind of relationships, you know, where it's like he, she wants to make a decision. She has to kind of call you before she can make the decision. And you're like, oh, queen, um, no, no, don't do that. Um, let, let's do it this way. Look at what the Bible says. He says we shall reign with, with him. Do you know he says, the Bible says he's the king of, who are the kings? You and I. He's the Lord of, that's who we are, lords. He's our Lord, but he's the Lord of lords. And he's saying here that we will reign with him. We are going to be co-kings, co-queens. Do you now understand why it says in Ephesians that God has raised us up and seated us where? In heavenly places, in what? In Christ Jesus. So reigning with him has three dimensions. The first one is right now. You're sitting in this chair right now, but you're not really sitting here. You're sitting here in your flesh right now, but do you really know where you are? You are seated right now in heavenly places. You are sitting now with Christ. You are reigning now with Him. Do you not see why you cannot have any limitations? Because you might be here, but you are in another place. Far above. That's my favorite scripture these days. You are seated with him in heavenly places far, far above any principality. Far, far above any powers. You right now, you are reigning. You are in charge. You are co-king. You are sitting by Jesus right now. And you are reigning with him. That is the reward of dying to the flesh. That is the reward of following Jesus. That right now as a human being on earth, 
you are reigning, even now. That when you say something, heaven backs you up. The Bible says what you lose on earth, heaven says lose it. And the Bible says what you bind on earth, Satan, you are bound. The heaven says, yes, bind him. You've become like God. You can speak and it happens. You can bind and it happens. You can lose and it happens. Do you see who you are? Do you see who you are? What God has made us because of the sacrifice, the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Why we cannot let ourselves come below what we, the status God has given us? It's not pride. It's not arrogance. You just know what you carry. You just know the goods that are inside of you. So that no matter what the enemy does, you tell him, I'm never going to bend my knees to you. I will cry. I will cry, but never. You will never have me. You will never have me turn my back on God. Because the ways of God are so much higher than our ways. I cannot understand God with this my little mind. But I can trust him. That if I don't understand, one day he will let me understand. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Revelations 5 and 10, it says, He has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign where? On the earth. Right now. And then the second way we reign is when we die. When we die, this is not where life ends. When we close our eyes, if Jesus tarries, when we pass from this life, or if you know anyone, a loved one that has passed, let this be an encouragement. Let this bring joy to your heart this morning. That death being a time of separation is painful. It's a deep, deep, deep pain, deep loss. A sorrow, anguish, ultimate weakness. But let me tell you something. If you apply the same scripture, we again begin to see that death is actually a victory. That death is actually a time of coronation for the believer. That death is an access to new power. That death is an access to the palace of the king of kings. Where everything you've imagined, where everything you've seen in your spirit, your soul now gets to experience it. And you go in his presence. Once you close your eyes here, you're right there. And he puts, you on the cr- he puts a crown on your head and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He says, come now and sit beside me and begin to rule with me. Reign with me. So anyone you know who may have passed, They are more alive now than they ever were. Oh my goodness. They can see and do things now that will blow your mind if you knew. I said, it's such a thin line, you know, like, you know, just a thin veil between here and there. They can see, but we can't see. I know they can see because Lazarus, when he died, when he was the bosom of Abraham, he said, Lord, please send. He remembered. He said, please send someone from here to the earth 
and tell my brothers what they're doing. They're not going to come here. And Abraham said, no. Even if you send prophets, they have prophets, they have pastors that can, they can listen to. Even if you send somebody from here, they won't believe. So there's a consciousness. There's a memory. Your soul is what is reunited with your, your, your Savior. Experiencing God, ruling with Him, reigning with Him. There's a nearness and access and influence and royal privilege they're having unlike ever before. They're actually there in person, reigning with, with, with Christ. But that's not all. The climax is when the judgment <laughs> That's when physical death will be finally defeated. That's when the body that has decayed, degenerated, is reunited and given a beautiful new body, as the Bible says in Revelation. And that body now joins with the soul, and the soul and the body and the spirit become one the way God has created and God wanted it to be. A new man. Revelations 21 verse 1 and 2. He says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And also there were no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then verses 4 to 8 of Revelation 21. I didn't give you that, Teresa. Revelation 21, verses 4 to 8. It says, And God will wipe away from every, every tear from every eye. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then who, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. We're back to that faithful again. It's the same meaning. You can bank on this. Verse 6 says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Oh, Teresa, I wish you could put it up so they can see this. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But then verse 8 is where I want to hinge and finish tonight, this morning. He says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the final judgment. That's the final judgment. For us that know him, 
We don't have to worry about that. We are the ones that he will wipe the tears away. He will give us our new body. We will become his bride. We will rule with him in the new heaven and the new earth. But if you deny him today, I tell you, you can take it to the bank. The consequence is one day you will stand before him. And he will say, who are you? You say your name is what? I don't know you. You are not one of mine. That's not the risk you want to take if you're here today and you don't know Jesus. That is not a risk you want to take. This life we live is a stop sign. You just stop there, you look, you look, and you keep on going. That is the brevity of life compared to eternity is even shorter than that. Your whole life, from the time you were born to the time you die, your whole life is a stop sign. You only just stop, you look, you look, and you keep going into eternity. So that stop sign means a lot. So you can decide today that I will live for him because this life is just so short. Eternity is, I, I can't even fathom what it is. I'm like, what will I be doing in eternity? After you've sung for one year, aren't you going to be tired of singing? <laughs> after you bend down and worship, after a while, won't you say my back hurts? But then we are not going to be in this body. The, I was telling somebody who was saying, you know, every time, why do you think the angels, the elders, and those creatures, from eternity, from then till now, why do you think every time they are worshipping, they are worshipping barrenness? Because every time they look up, they see a new part of God they didn't see before. They go up, they come, they see another part of Him. So that's what we are going to be doing in eternity. Seeing God in His we can never explore, exp exploit the fullness of God. But you have to be his child. You have to be one that lived for him here. You have to be one who followed him here. So that when he sees you, he will recognize you. If you don't want him here, why do you think he will want you when you get there? If you don't want to live for him here, why do you think he wants to do anything for you when you get there? That's my message today. You can take it to the bank. One day you are going to stand before him. And when he points that finger at you, it's going to be two things out of one of those. Well done, that good and faithful servant. Coming to the reward that has been prepared for, me, for you. Or he will point that finger at you and he will say, who are you? I have no idea who you are. But that decision, you can make it on this earth while you still have breath to choose who you are going to live for. Stand up on your feet with me this morning. This is the time, we live in a time that you really have to be what I call dense. You really have to be something wrong somewhere for you not to see what's going around, what's happening, and know that so God, something is up. You don't even have to be a believer to understand that something is happening. The signs of times are happening all around us. God is up to something. The end is coming. This is not the time for you to play games. 
This is the time for you to secure your salvation. So if you are here this morning, I'm not going to tell you to bow your head and close your eyes. When Jesus died, they, they, they stripped him of his clothes. He was naked on the cross. If you are here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want you to come to the front right now. The days are past of saying, close your eyes uh, so nobody will see you. Let us see you. Don't be ashamed. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my father. Show him you are not ashamed. If you are not living for him, I want you to come here. Let us pray with you. Or if you were going to church before, you came here on Easter Sunday and you are saying, God, I really need to live for you. I want to rededicate my life to you. I want you here too. Come to the front. Let's pray for you. And I, don't tell me everybody here is saved. I know that there are some of us that need to be out here right now. So you need to come. We are not going to close our eyes. Sing a song very softly. Think about it. And I want you to come if that's you this morning. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be ashamed of. When you acknowledge him, he will acknowledge you. He will mention your name, Ashley. Right now, he's mentioning your name. I thank God. You see, Ashley? Hallelujah. There's no need to be ashamed of. This is the best decision you can make for your life. This is the best decision you can make for your life. So let the world know you want to live for Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the best decision you can make for your life, my son. That's the best decision. All the other things will fade away. Everything will go. But this decision you made today is what's going to make Jesus look at you and say, Welcome home, my dear child. It's not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Don't ever be ashamed. I want you to go. Tell your friends. Tell everybody about Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Yay! Yes. Hold your hands. You are children of the most high God. Hold your hands. Be proud of who you are. You are a child of the most high God. Don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. From now on. None of us is perfect. If I sit down with you, I tell you what I've done. Nobody is perfect. Nobody is perfect. All our prayer partners, 